0: Let's turn to Colossians chapter one. Roman, thanks again. (laughs) Colossians chapter one, verses one through eight. We continue on in our study of the book of Colossians, the letter that Paul wrote from prison, more than likely when he was in Rome. And he wrote this letter to a church that had begun, that had started from someone who had actually heard the gospel when Paul preached the gospel in Ephesus. And we can be pretty certain that it was a man named Epaphras who was the one who took the gospel back to Colossae and there began the church to which this letter is written. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ by the will of God, and Timotheus, our brother, to the saints and faithful brethren in Christ which are at Colosse. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, praying always for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love which you have to all the saints, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which has come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit, as it doth also in you since the day you heard of it, and knew the grace of God in truth. As you also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. Let me quickly say that uh, years ago I spoke to someone, if I mentioned his name, you'd, you'd, you'd all, many of you would know who it was, but uh, I had an opportunity to visit with him in his seminary school. And he mentioned when talking about study uh, in preparation for the teaching of a book such as this book, Colossians, that simply in preparation alone, he would read that book 50 times before he would even teach it, 50 times. And if he taught it again later, he would still read it 50 times before he'd teach it. Now this is the third time that I've read through this passage here. So just be thankful that we're not going to do this 47 more times. <laughs> but even if we did, there's a good reason to do it. The more you read the Word of God, the more it becomes a part of you, the more you begin to understand it. And of course, when you trust in the power of the Holy Spirit to give you wisdom and understanding, it goes even further beyond that. So. This is one reason why we believe in the teaching of the Word of God. This is one reason why we're doing what we're doing today. And uh, and I hate to say it, but it's because of the failure of much of the church today not studying the Word of God, not believing and trusting in the Word of God today. So, I pray that uh, what we learn today will be certainly helpful, biblically relevant to every one of you. So having established then, for his audience in Colossae the foundational pillars of the believer's life, this is what we looked at last week. <laughs> the great truth of the triune God, the mention of God the Father, God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of the Spirit, being the Spirit, Holy Spirit there in verse eight. Then there's the characteristic virtues of faith, love, and hope, which we focused upon last week in faith and love, and today we're going to continue on and focus on hope. And then there was the sum and substance of our understanding and knowledge, the word of God, the gospel, and the fruit that, uh, that they bear in a believer's life through instruction. This is all what we've read in verses 1 through 8. Uh, the basic essence of worship and thanksgiving, the issues of holiness and prayer and intercession and faithfulness. As servants, the Apostle Paul knew very well the needs of a young church facing the challenges of heretical false teachings. And by the way, don't think that just in his time were false teachings going about because we are living in a time of tremendous false teaching in and around the church. But all of the things that Paul mentioned in these first eight verses, which is his salutation and his greeting, is all theological and it is all doctrinal so Paul in understanding the need for this church said even in my greeting to you my salutation to you I'm going to let you know how important the Word of God is because of what you are going to face and that of course being seen in the bulk of the letter so while we build upon these foundations and pillars as we study through Paul's epistle Our focus last time was on the three characteristic virtues of the believer faith, love, and as we'll see and continue today, hope. Faith, love, and hope. Now, one of the key doctrines of the church is the doctrine of salvation by faith. Paul mentioned the Colossians' faith in Christ Jesus. That's in verse 4. He mentions that because it was something that was very evident in the lives of this young, new church, and the people in it. But he mentions the Colossians' faith in Christ Jesus primarily because the cultists were introducing their false teachings about that very subject. And about the person and work of Jesus Christ. Every false cult, every, false cult, every non-Christian cult, wants to change what salvation by grace is and what it takes to be saved. It isn't then just Jesus, it's Jesus plus something else. That's what cultists do. That's what cultists teach. So this is the reason why we see this emphasis by Paul in his letter. And as we pointed out last time, the amount of faith is not important. Remember, we can have a faith the size of a mustard seed, and we can move mountains. So it's not the amount of faith that's important. What is important is the object of our faith. The object of our faith. Our faith has the tendency to grow as we discover that the object of our faith is sound. The more sound that we know the object of our faith is, the greater is our trust in the object. Well, the object of our faith, of course, is Jesus Christ, isn't it? And he is sound in what he has said. He is sound in what he has promised. He is sound in what he has delivered in the things that he's done. Died on the cross. Shed his blood for the forgiveness of our sins. Was buried. Rose again on the third day. Just as he said he would. Jesus can be believed. Jesus can be trusted. Jesus can be depended upon. So faith on a very general level is something that we exercise. By the way, we exercise it every day. You had a lot of faith when you plopped down on that chair you're sitting on today. That's just a, kind of a mundane example. But faith on a very general level is something we exercise. From having faith in doctors who diagnose our ailments to the pharmacists who put together our prescriptions. Gee whiz, I had to start there, didn't I? finding myself doing more of that, you know. Again, the older we get. All right, so from having faith in doctors who diagnose our ailments to the pharmacists who put together our prescriptions, from having faith in the architects and builders when entering our homes to, have, to having faith in the engineers who built the overpasses that we drive on. We have a faith in all of these things without bad an eye. We just trust, don't we? We don't look at them overpass and say, gee, I hope that thing holds up. We just go, just drive over. But we rarely think about it in those terms. So what is it that transforms that ordinary, simple faith into something called saving faith? It's the object. It's the object of our faith. It is simply faith in Christ Jesus, who is our proven and our sound Savior. Because it was Jesus himself in Luke 19 verse 10 that said, For the Son of Man is come to seek and to save that which was lost. He came to seek and to save. And that is exactly what he came to do. And that is exactly what he did. There are those who are troubled because they feel like they don't have enough faith. Or they don't feel enough. Or I I should say they don't feel anything when they put their faith in Christ Jesus. Too many people have that, that idea, well, I don't feel anything. It's not about feeling. It's about faith. It's about trust. It's about belief, and it is about dependency upon. Okay, don't get me to tell that story about singing feelings all night long. It's not about feelings. Or those that say, I don't have enough faith. And again, the reason why that, you know, they 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 believe this, and I mentioned this last time, is that because they have put their faith in their faith, or they put their faith in feelings. But that is not what we're supposed to do. Paul commended the Colossian church because of their faith in Christ Jesus. They put their faith in the object of their faith, who is Jesus. And we then spoke after that, of course, of, of the love that this church had to all the saints. Now there can be no doubt that the Lord Jesus loved everyone it's evident when we read John 3 16 for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life there's no doubt that the Lord Jesus loved everyone he loved Pilate and he loved Peter If he came to seek and to save that which was lost, and all are lost without Christ, then his love was certainly evident in his sacrifice for all. He didn't come to die for some. He came to die for all. For God so loved the world. And Paul, the apostle, was cut from that very same mold. You have to remember that uh, Paul spent a considerable amount of time alone with Jesus after his conversion on the road to Damascus, sent into the deserts of Arabia to be alone with Christ. That's quite an education and it's one that we, that, that none of us are exempt from having if we I don't mean go to Arabia to be with Jesus, but I mean be with Jesus wherever he has you. He was cut from that same mold because he spent that time with his Savior. And certainly wanting none to perish, he preached the gospel unwaveringly so that young and old, rich and poor, male or female, slave or free, could be saved from the consequences of sin and death. Paul loved everyone, but Paul loved the church. He loved the saints and the faithful brethren. In every city and town where Jesus would be honored and glorified, worshiped, praised, and served, he loved the church. How impressed Paul was to know that this church, the church in Colossae, had agape love for one another in their very small corner of the world. Oh, that every church would get a letter from someone to say, we, do, we, we are, are so blessed to know that you have love for one another. Faith in the object. Love for the saints. We will see how key these things are going to be as we get into more of the book of Colossians. But there's one more thing that we need to consider as a virtue, as a character of the Christian life, and that is hope, hope. We see in verse five of our text that it says, for the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof you heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, And so order is important here. The order that Paul has given us of these three virtues, of these three graces, of these three characteristics of the believer. Faith, then love, and then hope. Now we know that Paul had declared in 1 Corinthians 13 a slightly different order for a slightly different reason. But in 1 Corinthians thirteen, thirteen, Paul said, And now abideth faith, hope, charity, which is love, or agape, because it's the same word in the Greek, agape. And now abideth faith, hope, charity, these three, but the greatest of these is charity. And the church in Corinth needed to know that when it came to the issues of the gifts of the Spirit. And we talked a little bit about that last time. But in both passages, in both passages, faith comes first primarily because faith has to do with the content of salvation. Faith has to do with the content of salvation. Faith is to be in Christ Jesus. Faith is to be in Christ Jesus. Faith has to do with the foundational certainties and conclusions of salvation purchased for us at the cross of Calvary at such an immeasurable cost and made available to us in Christ. That was a lot of things to say there. But there's a certainty about it, there's a conclusion about salvation because of the price that was paid for us on the cross, the immeasurable cost of the life of Jesus Christ given for us and made available to us in Christ. That's the content of our salvation. And faith is what links us. To the word of God. Faith is what links us to the work of Christ. And faith is what links us to the witness of the Holy Spirit. Now remember that the triune God is also a foundational pillar that Paul mentions in the first eight verses of Colossians chapter 1. But then comes love. As Paul mentions, it's second here in Colossians. Because where faith has to do with the content of our salvation, love has to do with the character of our salvation. Love has to do with the character of our salvation. Love became incarnate in Christ. The first of the fruits of the Spirit, when you read it in Galatians chapter 5, and we'll read it at the very end of our study, but... The first of the fruits of the Spirit is love. Paul, when he writes that, as a matter of fact, when you look at it, you realize he says the fruit of the Spirit. Not the fruits of the Spirit, but the fruit of the Spirit. As if to say, here is one fruit, but love is the covering. It is what holds everything else together. So, joy, peace, patience, or long suffering, meekness, and all the other elements of the fruit cannot mean anything without the first being love. Truth itself must be held in love because love never fails. That's the character of our salvation. The character of our salvation is, because of love, our salvation will never fail. Because of the love of Jesus Christ, and when we are transformed into the new creatures that we are to be in Christ, then our character has to be that of love. No other religion in the world has that as the basis of its salvation, of the character of its salvation, as it is for the believer in Jesus Christ. And then comes hope, and it comes last. But as we oftentimes say, it's last but not least. Because hope, where faith has to do with the content of our salvation and love has to do with the character of our salvation hope has to do with the consummation of our salvation that's a big long word probably worth about 50 cents maybe a hundred, maybe a dollar 50 it's a big word but what does it mean hope has to do with the consummation of our salvation hope has to do with making our salvation complete The consummation of the ages is bringing the ages to a completion. That's a term that we find in the scripture. But hope has to do with the consummation of our salvation, the completeness, bringing our salvation to completion. We are saved. We're being saved. We will be saved. Do you see that? That's throughout all of the New Testament. We are saved. We have been saved, we are being saved, we will be saved. So where does hope point? It points to the future, doesn't it? We'll talk about that more in just a moment. Hope is, hope is usually discounted actually by many people and unfortunately by many Christians as well. I know many times I talk about the difference between biblical hope and, and worldly hope and I know some of you know that I'll always go to the Dallas Cowboys to talk about worldly hope. Well, we won't do that today. I think I already did. But those who discount biblical hope tend to only rise to the level of the world's understanding of hope. In other words, if, if someone is asked Are you saved? What is the response? There are some who will respond, I don't know. There are those who may profess Christianity, and they're asked the question, are you saved? And the response would be, I hope so. But Christian hope is not like that. That is not Christian hope. That is not biblical hope. Christian hope is substantial and it is solid in that it is embedded in eternal truth. We are not saved by our works. We are not saved by what we do. We are saved by believing and trusting in the work of Jesus Christ. And if that is what we've done, And God has changed us and made us new creatures in Christ, the old being passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Then when the question is asked, are you saved? Your answer is, I am saved. Not by anything that I have done, but according to his mercy, I'm saved. According to his grace, I'm saved. According to the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. And because I believe it, I confess it with my mouth and I believe it in my heart, the scripture says I'm saved. That is not a statement of arrogance, it is a statement of humility. Because the work is not done by us, there's work that is done by Jesus. And then our hope is something that is treasured in heaven. It is treasured in heaven. I know that Jesus at one point had said, you know, that we're to lay up for ourselves our treasures in heaven not on earth but the reality is of course that it is the Lord who is treasuring everything that we need for eternity in heaven. Consider if you will again verse 5 where it says the hope which is laid up for you in heaven the phrase laid up is the uh, Hebrew I'm sorry the, the Greek word apokemai and Apokemai means it is something that is reserved and that is stored up. It is reserved for you. It is stored up for you. It is being treasured for you in heaven. So this hope is reserved and stored up for us in heaven because the essence of this hope, which is Christ Jesus himself, is there at the right hand of the Father right now. That's where he said he would be until the time that the Father would send him here to take us home to the believer in Jesus Christ. And we're coming to that in just a moment. But the essence of the hope that we have, Christ Jesus, is there, and this is why we are to have hope. Without Jesus' ascension into heaven and his present intercession there on behalf of believers, we would have no hope There would be no hope whatsoever. We have hope because of everything Christ has done. We have have hope because of what Christ did in defeating sin, death, hell, and the devil by rising from the dead, by ascending into heaven and sitting at the right hand of the Father, just as he promised. Consider, if you will, 1 Corinthians 15 and verses 16 through 19. Where Paul uses a very interesting argument, and you have to read really m- much more of this, both on both sides of verses 16 through 19. But notice that it says, "For if the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised. If there is no resurrection of of the body, if there is no resurrection of the believer, then Jesus Christ isn't raised. In other words, he didn't rise from the dead. If it says the dead rise not, then is not Christ raised?" and if Christ be not raised, your faith is is vain. You are yet in your sins. You're still in your sins then. Nothing has been dealt with. Nothing has been accomplished. Then they also which are fallen asleep in Christ are perished. Then he says, If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. If only in this life If our hope is centered on the present and not on what is yet to come, then we are men most miserable. We are people who are just miserable because there's no hope beyond this life. We die, the light goes out, that's it. But that is not what has been promised. And Paul goes on to say that that is not what's promised. And he goes on to talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Much more than that in chapter 15, as we'll see in just a moment. He speaks a very important change. But biblical hope, our hope as believers in Jesus Christ, looks ahead. (laughs) Because it has to do with the future and what a glorious future that is. Our hope is guaranteed by the Lord himself in his infallible, unfailing, and reliable word. The rapture of the church itself, the event that we are looking for with eager anticipation is described by Paul as our blessed hope. And I just don't understand people who are going around saying, you know, all you people that t- teach about the rapture of the church and say that Jesus is gonna come and take us out of here. You know, you just, you know, they, there's all kinds of names that they'll give us for, for believing that. But as I've said very clearly before, they're, t- they're treating it as a doctrine and yet it's not a doctrine, it's a prophecy. This hasn't happened yet. But yet it's promised. John 14, Jesus promised it. Paul builds upon it. We'll talk about that in a moment. We'll see it. Paul builds on it in First Thessalonians chapter 4 and 1 Corinthians 15. It's an event that's going to happen. It's an event that Paul tells us is our blessed hope, Titus chapter 2. Verses 11 through 14, he says, For the grace of God that bringeth salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world. That is where we are to be today. How? In the love of Christ, in the love of his word, in the love of his people, because of faith, because faith has brought us to salvation. And then he says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior Jesus Christ who gave himself for us that he might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. So hope, the hope that God gives is the reason that we surrender our lives to Jesus Christ and go to such limits to love one another. There is only one thing That could make a person love another to such a point that they would sacrifice themselves for another. Especially when the other person may be attacking or trying to destroy them. That, of course, in the area of evangelism and and, and missionary work or missions work, whatever. Telling people about Jesus. Love them enough that you would give your life for them. That one thing. That one thing I'm talking about here today is the hope of some great promise. The hope of some great reward. That hope or reward is that which is laid up for us in heaven. The hope of being raised from the dead or raptured and being given a new and perfect and glorious body just like Jesus Christ. That's our hope. That's what we're looking forward to. Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 50 through 57. Should have told you to keep your finger in 1 Corinthians 15. But he says there toward the end of that chapter, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. We in this state that we're in right now, this physical state, none of us can inherit the kingdom of God. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. Neither does corruption inherit incorruption. But then he says, Behold, I show you a mystery. Something that has been hidden, but I'm going to show it to you because if I show it to you, then it's not hidden anymore. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. That'd be a wonderful thing to put over a nursery, you know, down there. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. (laughs) I think some nurseries do have that sign up there. But Paul says, we shall not all sleep. In other words, we shall not all die. That's what he's saying. But we shall all be changed. In a moment. In the twinkling of an eye. At the last trump. For the trump shall sound the dead shall be raised incorruptible. Well, it's only speaking of one sort of dead, the dead who are in Christ. They shall be raised incorruptible. And we, he says, shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption. By the way, did you notice the order? The dead shall be raised and we shall be changed. Paul talks about that. that's what we have to hope for that is where we put our hope Paul in Philippians 3 verses 20 and 21 says for our conversation is in heaven and the word that is used for conversation in the Greek in the Greek is a word that means citizenship for our citizenship is in heaven from whence also we look for for the Savior the Lord Jesus Christ and notice this who shall change Our vile body, this body of flesh and blood that cannot inherit the kingdom of God, shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. Paul is making reference to the rapture of the church. But it was Jesus in John 14 verses 1 through 3, Who very clearly makes the promise when Jesus said let not your heart be troubled you believe in God believe also in me what's that faith there's faith again in my father's house are many mansions if it were not so I would have told you I go to prepare a place for you and if I go and prepare a place for you I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am, there you may be also. In a very indirect way, we see the love of Christ for his church and we see the hope that he's given to the church. I will come again and receive you unto myself. That where I am, there you will be also. But Paul now in 1st Corinthians, I'm sorry, 1st Thessalonians, chapter four, verses 16 through 18, builds upon the very words of Jesus when he says, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout. I will come again and receive you unto myself. With the voice of the archangel, the trump of God, the dead in Christ shall rise first. Remember what Paul had said already? The dead shall be made cor- incorruptible And then we shall be changed. He says the dead in Christ shall rise first and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so shall we ever be with the Lord that where I am, Jesus said, there you may be also. And then he said, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. Comfort one another with these words. There are people today going around saying, no, you, you know, you, that, uh, I don't believe in the rapture. The rapture, the rapture is nothing. There's, it's not even in the scriptures. What have I just read? The scriptures that tell us that Jesus is coming for his church. So if you think that the church has to go through the tribulation period, there's no comfort in that. Therefore, these words are a comfort. Jesus is coming for his church. In Hebrews 6, verses 17 to 20, uh, verse uh, 20, it says, Wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel or the unchangingness of his counsel, confirmed it by an oath, that by two immutable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation, which is comfort, by the way, who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us which hope we have as an anchor of the soul both sure and steadfast and which entereth into that within the veil uh, whither the forerunner is for us entered even Jesus made a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek I share this for two things to show you that our hope is an anchor it's something that holds us to the promise of Christ Lay hold upon the hope that is set before us. It is sure and it is steadfast and it is the promise of the Savior. Our confident and steadfast hope is in the glorious inheritance that we are to receive from God as sons and daughters of His. Consider again Titus 3 verse 7. It says that being justified by His grace we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We should be made heirs. That has to do with inheritance. We're adopted into the family of God, yet he says you are heirs and join heirs with Christ. And once again, these are not issues of arrogance. These are issues of humility. Because it, it matters that we understand that all of this is by the grace of God, the undeserved favor of God. I don't deserve it. You don't deserve it. There's not one person on this earth that deserves it. All that we know about ourselves is that we were sinners saved by the grace of God and by the work of Jesus Christ. Even Peter, when he speaks in 1 Peter 1, verses 3-5, through says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again or made us born again unto a living hope or a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance incorruptible, and undefiled and that fadeth not away you see everything on this earth fades away but not the inheritance that awaits us reserved in heaven there it is again reserved laid up for you reserved in heaven for you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation ready to be revealed in the last time Hope points to the future. Faith, love, and hope. As Paul states it here in this letter to the Colossians, these three are truly the fruit of God's word. Faith, love, and hope, the first fruits of the spiritual harvest. I want you to listen to a couple of things. Listen again to Colossians 1, verses 5 through 8. Going back to our text now. Colossians 1, verses 5 through 8. For the hope which is laid up for you in heaven, whereof you've heard before in the word of the truth of the gospel, which is come unto you as it is in all the world, and bringeth forth fruit. The word of God that strengthens our faith, our love, and our hope, brings forth fruit as it does also in you since the day you heard of it and knew the grace of God in truth. Now truth is going to be another thing that we want to focus our attention upon in our next study. But he goes on and he says, As you also learned of Epaphras, our dear fellow servant, who is for you a faithful minister of Christ, who also declared unto us your love in the Spirit. Faith, hope, love. There's just no separating these three virtues from the writings of Paul. Except when he uh, specifically speaks of each one, yet together... We never can see them separate. So these three virtues are among the evidences that a person has truly been born again. These are the evidences, or at least some of the evidences, that a person has truly been born again of the Spirit of God. Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5 says, Therefore being justified by faith, notice. I mean, mark these things down. Faith. Highlight it. Justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in hope, there's hope, of the glory of God. And not only so, but we glory in tribulations also, knowing that tribulation worketh patience, and patience experience and experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, and here's the reason, Because the love of God there's love is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost which is given unto us. Three things are mentioned. Faith, hope, love. Three persons are mentioned. The Father, the Son, and the Spirit. The foundational pillars of the Christian life. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 13 through 15, in whom you also trusted after that you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also after that you believed, there's faith, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance. By the way, that's hope right there. The promise, which is the Down payment, the earnest is the down payment of our inheritance. That's something that is yet to come. That's hope. So you have belief, you have hope until the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. Verse 15, wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints. Never separating these three virtues from the believer in Jesus Christ. They're the evidences of our salvation. Consider, if you will, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verses 2 and 3. We give thanks to God always for you all, Paul said, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering, and notice how he puts it, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, your labor of love, and patience and hope in our Lord Jesus Christ, in the sight of God and our Father. The evidences of our salvation are found in faith, hope, and love, these three. And so Paul has given thanks for the threefold virtues and graces that were present among the Colossian church. Their faith toward Christ lay in the past because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross of Calvary. Their faith lay in the past. In all that Christ accomplished for them on the cross and from an empty tomb as well, And then their love for all the saints was manifest in the present. This is how they were to live. This was the character. Love is the character of our salvation. It is present. It is what we do together today. This is why we gather at least once a week. And we have opportunity to gather more than that. To love and to encourage The hearts of our brothers and sisters in Christ and then their foundation of hope would be actualized and realized in the future the hope is the promise of the inheritance that has been laid up for you that is reserved for you that is stored up for you in heaven let me leave you with Galatians 5 verses 22 through 26 because I mentioned that I wanted to read the fruit of the spirit the fruit being the covering or the love being the covering of all the fruit Paul said but the fruit of the spirit is love joy peace long suffering or patience gentleness goodness faith meekness temperance or self-control <clears throat> against such there is no law and they that are Christ's have crucified the flesh with the affections and lusts if we live in the spirit let us also walk in the spirit let us not be desirous of vainglory, provoking one another Envying one another. I say it is high time today. As we see the condition of the world. As we see so much of what Jesus Christ said would be happening in the last days. As we see it happening before our eyes. It is high time for us. Not only to live in the spirit. But to walk in the spirit. To walk exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit, whose covering, and, and that which holds everything together is God's love. And the love that is steadfast, a love that is sacrificial, a love that is supernatural, it is the love that is called agape. It is God's unconditional love. Because we are not to desire vain glory We are not to provoke one another. But why, why do these things happen in the church so often? They should not be. We should not envy one another. We should love one another. It comes from dying to self. Earlier in this particular book, Galatians, Paul said, for I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Galatians 2.20. Mark it, read it, memorize it, believe it, and live it. Die to self that Christ may live in you. That is what Paul will teach us in the book of Colossians chapter 3.